Good morning, everyone. This is Jeff from the Cyber Pro Podcast. It's Friday. I'm excited because my guest today, her name is Jackie McGuire, and she is also, in addition to being awesome, the keynote speaker at the Pacific Hackers Conference in Mountain View, California, November 18th and 19th. We'll get back to that in a second. But good morning, Jackie. Good morning. I am so excited for that. <laughs> I think after two years of all of this hoo-ha that we all just went through, we're all excited to be just back live in person anywhere. So we'll talk about that one in a second. If you could first uh, share with our audience a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what you do. Uh, so I'm a, that's a loaded question, right? I'm a little bit of a Jackie of all trades, I guess. Um, so currently, I'm the uh, Senior Market Strategy Manager for Cribble. So I handle our market strategy for the security market. Uh, prior to that, I was a analyst with S&P's Market Intelligence Division. So I covered uh, SIM, SOAR, XDR, all the security operations and analytics tools. Um, and I got my start in cybersecurity as a data scientist for a SIM vendor. So I used to write anomaly detection and user and entity behavior analytics. Uh, and I'm a recovered financial advisor and stockbroker, spent roughly 15 years between Fidelity and SVB managing cash. So done a little bit of everything. Oh, and I worked in AR for a little while. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, classic example of hyperproductive ADHD. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you know, hackers never sleep and we drink a lot of coffee, so love it. You know, I, one of the things that you said was, I am a Jackie of all trades. And I love that comment because I think that when you bring such a varied uh, background to your current position and to talk about things that you love, man, you've got a lot to draw from. So when we talk to cybersecurity professionals like yourself, one of the questions that we like to ask is, you know, what do you see that's coming up that's going to be really compelling in the next couple of years that maybe, you know, we've had hints that it's coming, but it's really going to smack us in the face. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think there's a number of things. Um, one of the things you and I were talking about offline is um, it really fascinates me that the Internet and kind of the connected world as we know it is really just reaching um, some state of maturity. And I think because the internet is this like crazy growing, ever evolving thing, there's never gonna be a real steady state, but we went from you know rapidly building this thing that I think a lot of people generally regarded the internet in early days as kind of like a, a fun, you know, something to do for fun. It was like a, it wasn't a necessity. It was like a, a thing to do to waste time, right? Uh, watch cat videos. <laughs> Uh, you know, chat with your friends. But now the internet has become this like inextricable part of everyday life. And we've now had to look at this as and gone into how do we become, you know, good stewards of the internet. And so I was um, thinking about like DEF CON, I saw this fantastic talk about link decay, and how, you know, we never really think about where do websites go when they die. And, you know, if I register a domain today and I build a website and I stop paying my hosting bills, who gets that website and what do they do with it? We've actually seen those things be then used for disinformation. And then also from an infrastructure standpoint, you know, we, uh, we've made very kind of short-term decisions about how we've innovated. And there's so much promise of the connected world that we've kind of 
looked past things like where do billions of lithium batteries go when they die? You know, we know people don't recycle them. We know people just throw them into garbage. Uh, you know, and so we, I think we've started to have to look at balancing all of the promise of the innovation and, you know, new possibilities of a connected world with, but we also have to, to be good stewards of the environment, of information, of, you know, of, of the internet in general. Um, yeah, and so I, it's something I think about a lot, and I spend a lot of time reading about. Is kind of you know how do we how do we move into a mature uh, industry phase of the internet? Yeah, you said a couple interesting things right now that were just super compelling. One of which was uh, being good stewards, right? Like we've run and run and run for a, 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 what seems like a long time, but has only been a blink of an eye to get to where we are here, and and now that we're close to being in orbit. We also, well, first of all, we have to congratulate ourselves for getting here. Awesome. But then we got to look around and go, oh, crap, now what do I do? And, you know, we also started talking about offline, about now that we're here and the environment is the, 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 the buzzword of buzzwords. And I don't think a lot of people really realize, and I'm going to use the air quotes, right, how wasteful the internet is, and we're, we're going to talk about that, right? We're going to talk about the amount of the footprint of the internet and how it utilizes electricity and water to a, a, an immense degree that I don't think a lot of people truly have a grasp on and, and what what we need to do to help conserve and change what we're doing because otherwise, wow, it just becomes another industry that churns through irreplaceable resources. Let's talk about that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's, I think this is one of those symptoms we were talking about with um, cloud computing. So cloud computing, you know, the cloud was this big thing and it was gonna solve all of the problems, right? You'd be able to access everything from everywhere. You would never have to buy your own servers again. If you needed a thousand computers tomorrow, you could just run a thousand. If you needed five, you could run five the next day. Great, phenomenal. Huge problem with that, right? <laughs> so when you have your own, say, server farm, and you're adding servers, and you're uh, all of a sudden you you do something, and it just maxes out all of your servers; they all run to full capacity. Your electricity bill spikes. You see that. You don't see that with cloud computing. So I, I tell this story a lot. Uh, when I was a new data scientist, I was training a model, and we were working with syslogs. So this is like these massive logs, and I was training an a. a, a uh, behavior model. So I needed lots of logs. I did not limit appropriately the number of logs I pulled. So I hit mm -hmm. a button and walked away in Kibana and came back to a $75,000 AWS bill because it had just run crazy. And so luckily AWS was cool and they refunded it and were like, don't do it again. It's like, I will try. Um, but the question is how many, how many barrels of oil were burned in that $75,000 oops? And so, you know, the, the statistic that's kind of jarring is that the cloud just surpassed the airline industry for carbon emissions. Mm. And average data center, one data center, uses as much electricity as 50,000 homes. And most of the larger, newer generation data center campuses run eight to 12 of those buildings. Mm. So we're talking about using half a million homes worth of electricity for one data center. Um, and we're building data centers at an insane clip. And they also use billions and billions of gallons of water because, you you know, servers produce a ton of heat. So data centers, all they all they do is try to cool 
And, and what you need for cooling is you're either going to use mechanical cooling, like air conditioning, which is tons and tons of electricity, or you're going to use uh, evaporative cooling, which is water. And so you're going to use billions of gallons of water. Um, and we really need to ask ourselves, you know, when you hit that button, uh, machine learning and AI is a really great example of this. It's insanely computationally intensive. And I don't think a lot of people realize that we're not building data centers to store pictures and videos and files anymore. Sure. We're building them to run machine learning and AI. And because those things are so computationally intensive, they they take a lot more server power. And so, yeah, I mean, I think we haven't gotten to a great point where before you hit a button, it says, you know, you're gonna use this many pennies of cloud, of cloud compute, which equals this many, you know, this much in carbon footprint. We haven't gotten there yet. And because computing has become so highly specialized, most people who are hands on the keyboard every day are so many layers removed from that, it's not even a consideration. So that that's that's kind of my soapbox every time I talk about being more efficient with data and being more efficient with computing and not writing crappy, inefficient code. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I, I always like I like rage against regex in line for stuff, right? Because it's like one, it breaks, but two, that is so inefficient and so computationally intensive when you're running these like crazy <clears throat> regex parsing things. Um but there's a real environmental impact to that. It's not just like, oh, I'm a cranky data scientist who likes my Python pristine, right? <laughs> One follow-up question. And, and, and I think that, you know, we, we made the analogy of how many uh, households that the average data center uses. And, and you threw out the, the number of a half a million. And that in itself is not only boggling. But also an incomplete picture, right? Because if you have a population of a half a million people, even their usage is going to be cyclical. It'll go up, it'll go down, but there's the, the average point is going to be a lot lower than what we think it is. Mm -hmm. As opposed to a data center where they're running 24-7, 365, and the consistent demand is always there, and it spikes. It never goes down, but it actually spikes upwards. So I'm wondering if there's a way for us to actually determine what that usage is uh, beyond that baseline of, of a half a million. It's got to be a lot more. Yeah. And the other thing that is one of those kind of like solve one problem, create another. So mm. if you think about data privacy, right? GDPR, um, we're now saying, okay, so. The way it used to work is that these companies, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, AWS, they have data centers in all these different countries and they have operating agreements, which basically allows them to take data that you produce in, the, in Europe and store it in, the, in America or process it in America. If that's to your point where they have a data center that has the most capacity. Well, a lot of these new privacy regulations say that's not OK. Data needs to be kept where it's generated. We don't want data from our country leaving our country. So that sounds good in theory. We're protecting people's data. We're keeping it from being stored in all these crazy places where we don't necessarily have control over it. But we build data centers in pretty specific places, places with low humidity so that evaporative cooling will work, places with low average temperatures so that you don't have to use as much cooling, places with plenty of water so that you don't have to you know, take water from other places where it may be sensitive, we're losing the ability to do that. 
Because if you have to build a data center in Southeast Asia because of privacy rules, or you have to build a data center in Europe because of privacy rules, you don't really get to be as choosy about whether the environment is as accepting of that data center as it needs to be. And so we've kind of reached this like critical uh, inflection point where we really need to start thinking about um, how we regulate companies' ability to build data centers. You know, and, and I think we we tend to kind of be both paradoxically long and short-sighted in technology where of the answer I've gotten from some people is, well, when quantum computing is a thing, like it, all of this, these all of these data centers will fit on a chip, so it won't matter, right? But what happens if we completely destroy the water table of a bunch of different countries in the meantime, right? So I think this is something that we need to be talking about now, probably 10 years ago, but definitely now. Uh, that is a very compelling conversation that we can't finish today. But as you said, the, those conversations need to start. Uh, thank you for that. And finally, let's end on a upbeat note. Can you share with us a story, and you have a lot of them, of something that happened, you know, where you might have thought it was kind of small, a little bit insignificant, but it really helped somebody. And it's just a kind of a reminder of truly what we do and why we do it. So I will say, um, I am a little bit neurodivergent, as I think a lot of people in cybersecurity are, and so I can be very direct. Um, and I am usually the person that will tell you things that other people won't. And, and I've learned to be more tactful about it as I've gotten older. Um, but a very dear friend of mine, uh, I just kind of, as a side note, said to him one day, I said, you know, I, I think your friends aren't that nice to you. And, and maybe, maybe you should hang out with people that are a little bit nicer. Um, and it's just a small thing, right? That like, you should hang out with people who treat you the way you treat them, because you're like a really nice person. Uh, several years later, he had a child and he called me and he said, her name is Isabel Jacqueline because I hope that she grows up to be as kind and honest as you are. Uh, <laughs> so the guy literally named his kid after me and he was like, you know, nobody had ever really been that honest with me. So yeah, so I think like I, I've definitely put my foot in my mouth doing that sometimes, but uh, it was one of the times it was like, oh, I don't know if I should have said that, but it actually turned out really well. So for everybody out there whose friends are not nice to them, there are people out there who will be nice to you. <laughs> oh, I'm just going to fall down. You just stabbed me. That's why I like the internet. Because you can find all the people who are as nice, like who are the same kind of nice as you are, right? Like, you don't have yes. to settle for like the 10 jerks you graduated from high school with. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to kill it right there because how else are we going to drop the mic? <laughs> Jackie McGuire, thank you so much for your time today. We look forward to seeing you soon. And to our audience, one last plug for the Pacific Hackers Conference in Mountain View, California, November 18th and 19th. Jackie McGuire will be the keynote speaker and will have more awesome stories to share. Thank you for your time today, Jackie. Thank you for watching the Cyber Pro Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe so you don't miss out on new podcasts and bonus content.